بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد في الأولين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الآخرين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله seems like it's been a while since we were here I think we were here before before Eid right right we compressed it a little bit Right. Okay. So we are on page 30. And I wanted to reiterate something that I mentioned in passing in one of the earlier classes. And that concerns the nature of this kind of book. We know that in the Islamic tradition, there are different kinds of books. Some books we call mutun or didactic text. Usually those are poems or very short uh, prose text, nathar, that basically condense a particular science. Could be fiqh, could be hadith sciences, could be Arabic, whatever. And those books are taught by teachers, they write commentaries on those texts, and those commentaries often feature hawashi, or glosses, or commentaries on the commentaries and sometimes commentaries on the commentaries on the commentaries because you have this tradition of the internal conversation among scholars spanning centuries uh, and you see this with uh, a number of works perhaps most notably in the the Hawashi on Al-Aqaid al-Nasafiya or the Hawashi on the Tafsir al-Baydawi so that's a tradition then you have books that are more, we can call them devotional in nature. Uh, they don't necessarily receive commentaries. They're just read in gatherings. And what you find with those kinds of books is often they're read for the purpose of general benefit. They're not read as textbooks where every single line is unpacked and explained in great de detail. Well, you know what the ulama call tafkik al-ibara, where they take the sentence and they unpack it and explain everything in minute detail. This book is one such book. As a more devotional kind of text, it's not one that you pin a commentary on necessarily, although it's possible. Uh, and I say this because the approach we take to reading this book is different from the approach we would take to, say, uh, a text on aqidah or a text like the lives of man which we unpack word for word so there are some sections that we'll, we kind of gloss over and read through rather quickly others that we focus on a little bit more uh, because it's a large book and that is the nature of this text so we're on page 30 and I want you to get an idea of how he's structuring this book. Uh, my conviction is that 
the Shaykh structured the book according to the feeling at, of the moment. That whatever he felt was appropriate in that moment, he penned it, and that was that. When you look at pages 30 to 61, it, it describes some of the general fada'il, the general virtues of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Shema'il is a compilation of hadith and a handful of narrations from Sahaba. So it's ordered, it's given a certain arrangement, and there are chains of narrations, and it's a very ancient book that received commentaries. This is not a hadith compilation. He mentions hadith, he mentions ver uh, verses of Quran, he mentions sayings from the Sahaba, sayings from the Tabi'un, the second generation, and the third, and the fourth, and all the way until today, uh, commenting on and explaining some of the meanings contained within the Shema'il, but also things that describe the khasa'is, or the unique qualities of the Prophet ﷺ, or his miracles, or virtues concerning salawat, and things like that. So it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot broader than the Shema'il. The Shema'il is a very specific genre. And as we mentioned in the previous class, there's four or five sciences that are within this field of what we call Al-Ulum Al-Muhammadiyya. Seerah, Shema'il, Khasa'is, Fada'il, Mu'jizat, and Maghazi even, right? So this has a little bit of everything minus the Maghazi. Now, pages 30 to 61, he covers some of the general virtues of the Prophet ﷺ, drawing mostly from verses of Qur'an and hadith, with some commentary here and there. And it appears that pages 30 to 61 are like a tamheed, or kind of an opening to the content that comes after it, where he goes into more detail about the specifics that he's talking about here. So in pages 30 to 61, he cites Qur'an hadith uh, speaking about the khalq, meaning the physical description of the Prophet ﷺ, and the khuluq, or the character of the Prophet ﷺ. From pages 61 to 87, he goes into more detail, and he, talk, he draws out meanings from the Shama'il text and these kinds of narrations where he looks at the unique features of the Prophet ﷺ and the transformative effects of his person on the Sahaba and others, the nature of love and things like that. So what we have in the next 30 pages is a fairly general outline of the prophetic virtues, the fada'il of the Prophet ﷺ. So the first part of it is him citing verse after verse after verse after verse of Qur'an uh, about the virtues of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then hadith narrations and some athar, some reports from the Sahaba <coughs> about his virtues and qualities. He says uh, here in the beginning before mentioning the verses, the descriptions of the virtues of the Shema'il of the Prophet are like a man standing before the greatness of the oceans. 
or like the one who has the responsibility of counting all the grains of the earth. Therefore, one should do their best according to their ability and not omit the slightest out of fear that he cannot encompass, encompass the abundance. So this is actually, he doesn't mention it, but it, it reminds us of a passage of a, of a line of poetry from Imam al-Busayri in his Burda. Uh, in, somewhat in the beginning, he says a very beautiful line of poetry. فَإِنَّ فَضْلَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ لَيْسَ لَهُ حَدٌ فَيُعْرِبَ عَنْهُ نَاطِقٌ بِفَهْمِ He says, indeed, the virtues of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam do not have an uppermost limit, a had that one who can express them would be able to express them fully, and anyone who can speak. The point is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has such virtues that you can't encompass them in a single book, right? There's too many. You can draw out so many details. So he's saying that this is a very uh, intimidating uh, task because if you pin a book describing the Prophet ﷺ, what if you leave out something, right? So you almost have to acknowledge that that's inevitable because of the great beauty in majesty of the Prophet ﷺ. So, he then talks about the verses of the Qur'an where Allah Ta'ala describes the Prophet ﷺ. So he mentions a dozen or so verses. And when he cites these verses, he's not saying that these are the only verses that describe the Prophet ﷺ. Clearly not. Uh, in every single verse, there is some ishara, some uh, allusion to the person of the Prophet ﷺ, directly or indirectly. So he's citing just some verses to give us an idea. And, you know, I remember many years ago, I was a brand new Muslim actually, uh, someone had put together a little booklet. Uh, they took all of the verses of the Qur'an that speak about obedience to the Prophet ﷺ and put them in one small booklet. It was very nice. Because we are aware of Allah's command to obey the Prophet ﷺ. But to see them all put together in one place, you see the gravity of it, and the importance of it. So he mentioned some verses, and what we'll do is just, we'll read these translations. And uh, some don't require much commentary. Others we may draw out some meanings. He begins uh, with the verse in Surah Al-Fatih, Muhammadun Rasulullah. And as we mentioned before, uh, if you say Muhammadun Rasulullah, you can intend with that saying that you're reciting Quran. Right? So you say uh, to become a Muslim, what do you say? Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadun Rasul, anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. If you say Muhammadun Rasulullah and you intend recitation of the Quran, you get the reward of reciting Quran in addition to mentioning the testimony of faith. So Allah mentions this. Um, Imam Abu Raghib al-Asfahani, he mentions a really good point that nowhere in the Qur'an does Allah Ta'ala address, address the Prophet with his first name. Never. Meanwhile, you can find plenty of verses where Allah addresses the other Prophets with their first name. Ya Adam, right? Ya Yahya, khudin kitaba bi 
right? So many verses he addresses them by the first name. But nowhere in the Quran does Allah address al-khitab yani, al-ilahi, address the Prophet by his first name. He does mention the name Muhammad, but is always in the third person. And this is for uh, alerting us to the tafkhim and the ta'zim that he gives to the person of the Prophet honoring him. So this is a lesson for us, that when we speak about the Prophet we should not speak about him like people speak about their friends and buddies, addressing, speaking about him using his first name only. Uh, Muhammad this, Muhammad that, you know. Uh, one should give the title of Rasulullah or Nabiullah or, or something like that, prophet or messenger. Now some of the Sahaba in their poetry would mention him using his first name, but it's descriptions, because the name itself is praise. Um, later poets would often do that too, but that was always in a context of using the name as a form of praise and describing his praiseworthy qualities. But you don't find the Sahaba ever going around, you know, Muhammad this, Muhammad that, or, you know, hey Muhammad. They didn't do that. And people would find that disrespectful if they were to address their fathers or mothers by their first name. I mean, maybe less so today in this environment where people, anything goes. But in most societies, it is seen as rude to address your mother and father by their first name. So what say you, the name of the Prophet Anyhow, Allah Ta'ala says, Muhammadun Rasulullah. And those who are with him are stern, strong against the unbelievers, but compassionate amongst each other. You will see them bow and prostrate, seeking grace from Allah and his good pleasure. On their faces are their marks, min atharis sujood, from the traces of their prostration. I should mention something here. The atharis sujood primarily refers to the nur primarily refers to the light that will become very manifest on the day of judgment from the, the places of prostration as well as the places of wudu where the water would reach. Uh, it also can refer to the literal physical traces of prostration, the prostration marks that would uh, appear and this is because they were people of sujood, people of prayer. What this does not mean is one should uh, seek to etch a mark into their forehead purposely by digging their face into the masjid carpet, especially this one. It will be easy here. Uh, because with this, there's a kind, there's a fear of riyah, a fear of showing off. One should avoid that. Sure. The other day, I heard somebody from the religion. He said that, uh, but this is only for men. This is what they said. It's not for women. Women don't have the mark of prostration. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know whether this is true. You'll see. I mean, you'll see it on some women. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so are you the same like in, in women? I've never mm. seen any woman with that sign. Yeah. Mm. It's more common for sure. Maybe. Maybe. 
Also, if they're praying in the in the masjid, yes. perhaps the perhaps the nature of the surface. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I never thought about that. So the athar sujood could possibly refer to the physical marks, but primarily it's the it's the nur, and also the athar sujood. Some of the ulama say the athar sujood doesn't just refer to any physical mark; it refers to the impact of sujood on the person's character. And what is the athar? The athar is the effect or the trace of something. What is the trace of proper sujood when the person is closest to Allah Ta'ala? Is it transforms them. It should, should be. So the sign of these followers, the true followers, is that you recognize them from the athar, the traces of their prostration to Allah Ta'ala in their behavior, in the way they carry themselves as, as ibad. That's one way of looking at it too. He says this is their similitude in the Torah. And their similitude in the gospel is like a seed which sends forth its blade, then makes it strong. It then becomes thick and stands on its own stem, filling the sowers with wonder and delight. Yeah, meaning seeds are planted, they grow, they are sown, right? It brings delight to the sowers. There's an there's a idea here that uh, something is planted deep, and it's cultivated, and it grows, and it produces fruit, bringing joy to others, the ones who cultivate it. He says, as a result, it fills the unbelievers with rage at them. Allah has promised those among them who believe and do righteous deeds, forgiveness, and a great reward. So that's the first verse. Uh, the second verse is in Surah Al-Najm, where Allah Ta'ala says, uh, what's translated here nor does he say aught of his own desire it is no less than inspiration sent down to him this is interesting this verse because you'll notice in the verse Allah Ta'ala does not say ma an hawahu he doesn't, doesn't literally say he does not speak of his hawa, his desire. hawa doesn't speak from a place of hawa. Allah Ta'ala doesn't even describe hawa to him. Now hawa has different meanings. Hawa can mean, it could be something positive. It can also be something negative, right? Hawa can mean a person's praiseworthy longings or praiseworthy desires for something good. It can also mean their negative passions or caprice. So these are there's a lot of words we have in English for these things. Now, not to get uh, bogged, bogged in, down into tafsir too much here. You have words like uh, shahwa, right? In Arabic, shahwa and you have hawa. Shahwa is usually translated as desire, and hawa is also translated as desire. What's the difference here? Uh, usually, shahwa as desire refers to the 
physical, carnal appetites, right? And usually that refers to shahwatul batni wal farj, the desires of the stomach and one's sexual appetites. So there's something physical in that shahwat. So the shahwat, uh, as blameworthy base desires, refer to physical desires rooted in this, the carnal self. Hawa, on the other hand, is also desire, but in distinction from shahwa, hawa often refers not to physical carnal desires, but uh, you could say caprice in English, which means basically desires stemming from bad ideas, desires stemming from faulty understandings, or projecting false ideas onto reality, right? So, right, you have Ahl-Sunnah, right? Ahl-Sunnah meaning uh, the people of the prophetic way, right? Sunni Islam. We say Ahl-Sunnah and Jama'ah, right? The broad term for Sunni Islam. The people of the prophetic way and the broad community, the Jama'ah, right? Asiwadul A'zam, the bulk of the Ummah. Uh, contrary to them, you have Ahlul Bid'ati Wal Ahwa Wal Farqa. You know, the people of uh, blameworthy innovations and the people of desires. So, Hawa here means people with just really bad ideas about things concerning belief in Allah or belief regarding the Prophet or belief regarding Allah's Qadr or belief regarding the Sahaba, or belief regarding the Ahlul Bayt, meaning they have certain bad ideas that they project onto those things. And it's not based on the desires of the physical body, it's, it's in the mind, right? So Hawa is often uh, translated as caprice, because that's the meaning it takes, right? So here Allah Ta'ala is saying that whatever the Prophet Sallallahu says, it's not coming from a place of hawa, of just vain ideas that don't have a basis in reality, that don't have a basis in things as they truly are, right? Fi nafs al-amr. So everything that the Prophet ﷺ says, Allah confirms in this verse, in huwa illa wahyu yuha. It is but revelation revealed. This is very important. He doesn't even uh, say hawahu. He says from a place of hawa. So he's not even ascribing hawa to him at all. So sometimes when they translate this verse, they say, you know, his own desires. Does he have hawa? Well, not the negative meaning. But the positive meaning, yes. Because Sayyidah Aisha mentions this in the hadith that uh, Allah reveals to him things that correspond to what he desires and longs for. And she uses the word hawa in the positive sense. So that's what we can say about this verse. So there's nothing that the Prophet ﷺ says that is based on uh, vain desire or selfishness or bad ideas or things that don't correspond to reality. Don't correspond to things as they are. So, how can be used in positive uh, sense? 
Yeah, because because uh, hawa is an, it can also be used as a word for love, right? It's one of the words in Arabic for love, so it has that positive sense, um, but it has a negative sense too. So the negative is negated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the next verse he mentions is in Surah Al-Hashr. Allah Ta'ala says what can be translated as what Allah has bestowed on his messenger from the people of the townships. It is for Allah and for the messenger and for his near relatives and orphans. Uh, this bestowal here is talking about fay. What is fay? Uh, you know, in war, you have ghanima, right? The spoils of war, what you may capture after the battle. Uh, that's called ghanima. Fay is the same thing, something that's captured, but without any fighting. So they flee, right? They leave it, right? They retreat and it's taken as spoils of war but without the actual battle happening. So what Allah has bestowed on His Messenger from the people of the townships, it is for Allah and for the Messenger and for His near relatives and orphans. I mean, it has to be divided in a certain way. It has to be split in certain proportions. The needy and the wayfarer. So that, so that it will not be a perpetual distribution between the wealthy among you. So take what the messenger assigns to you and deny yourselves that which he withholds from you and fear Allah, for Allah is strict in punishment. This is the relevant part of the verse to what we're highlighting in this uh, reading. Uh, Whatever the Messenger of Allah وسلم, gives you, take it. And whatever he forbids you from, abstain from it. So that, that comprises his commands and prohibitions. The things that are haram, the things that are makru, that we should stay away from ideally, uh, and the things that are commands or recommendations. So that's what we find in this verse. In the next verse in Surah An-Nisa, Allah Ta'ala says what can be translated as, But for the grace of Allah to you and His mercy, a party of them would certainly have plotted to lead you astray. But in fact, they will only lead their own souls astray. And to you, they can do no harm in the least. For Allah has sent down to you the book and wisdom and taught you what you did not know and great is the grace of Allah upon you so this is again highlighting the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala graced the Prophet وسلم, and taught him what he did not know before now there's a verse he doesn't mention here but I wanted to comment on it um, in the Quran uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that in speaking about the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says 
وما كنت تدري ما الكتاب وما الإيمان You did not know before what is the book and what is Iman. What does that mean? He didn't? Right. Right. Does this verse mean that Allah, that, that, that the Prophet ﷺ did not know Iman, did not know Allah before he received the Quran? Absolutely not. That, that meaning is automatically disqualified from being a possibility because we know from so many other verses in hadith uh, that that is not the case so what then is the meaning the ulama mentioned a variety of tafsir about this verse when Allah Ta'ala says that before this before the Quran you did not know what is the book well that's obvious the Quran was yet to be revealed what does he mean when he says you didn't know what iman was well we know that it doesn't mean belief in Allah because the Prophet ﷺ has always been mu'min billah the Prophet ﷺ always knew Allah Ta'ala but iman here you understand that the word iman we say means faith but in other verses of the Quran it can refer to outward actions because in Surah Al-Baqarah in the verse that talks about the change of the Qibla from Al-Quds to the Kaaba, Allah Ta'ala addresses the companions by saying, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ Allah is not going to spoil or let go to waste your Iman. And that Iman in the verse in Surah Baqarah is talking about their Salat towards Bayt Al-Maqdis. Meaning, Allah is not going to cancel out the rewards of all the prayers they offered facing Jerusalem. Right? So Allah refers to salat in that verse as uh, your iman. Right? So iman can sometimes refer to not just faith, not just conviction of the heart, but also actions. And this is what the ulama of tafsir say. They say that what Allah Ta'ala is saying in this verse is before the revelation of the book, you did not know Iman, meaning you did not know the details of the Sharia because they were not yet revealed to you. That's clear, because the Sharia was revealed in stages. And among the very first revelations pertained to purification and prayer. Before that, there was no command for wudu, there was no revelation about wudu, no revelation about salat, and then those things came. Uh, other ulama say that Iman here refers to all of the takalif, all of the uh, divine commands and prohibitions that are in the sharia, the details of law. That's what the verse means. So Allah Ta'ala is reminding the Prophet of his great favor upon him by saying, before you receive the divine speech in the Quran, you do not know, you do not have access to the divine speech until it was revealed to you nor before the Qur'an did you know the details of the revealed law. That's what it means. But if a person is not aware of the meaning of Iman and the various, uh, the various meanings it may take in the Qur'an, and they're unaware of the great status of the Prophet ﷺ before the Qur'an, they could read that with a very surface level understanding and take from it that the Prophet ﷺ did not know Allah before revelation of Qur'an. 
This is a huge blunder. It's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. They also had something similar to the Salam, right? True. Um, was there any type of like wudu or purification for them also? There, there was. There was. So, uh, so if it's asking if there was anything similar to wudu or ghusl in the previous revelations, there was. And some of that uh, remained among those communities. Some of that even remained among Quraysh, although hundreds of years had passed when they uh, became slowly corrupted and engaged in idol worship. Even though they were idol worshippers, they had some remnants of the old, some of the old practices or rituals that came originally from Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Right? So for example, uh, Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan, after the Battle of Badr, he was so angry at what happened that he took an oath that he would not take a ghusl until he gets revenge. Right? And obviously this is not a ghusl for salat, but it's a ghusl after intercourse. So that tells you that even among the Jahili Arabs, they still had aspects of these things. Uh, and the Quran revealed verses pertaining to ghusl even though the basic elements were there before so yeah some of those things did exist yeah so Allah Ta'ala is mentioning the grace of Allah Ta'ala upon him in receiving what he received uh, next verse uh, Surah An-Nisa also whoever obeys the messenger of Allah has truly obeyed Allah but whoever turns away, then know that we have not sent you as a keeper over them. This is one of many verses that mentions the obedience to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam being obedience to Allah Ta'ala. There is no artificial separation, right? Obedience to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is obedience to Allah. Disobedience to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is disobedience to Allah because there is nothing from Rasulullah except that it is revealed to him by Allah. Therefore, to obey him is to obey his Lord. To disobey him is to disobey his Lord because everything he conveys is from his Lord, very clearly. Uh, the next verse is in Surah Al Haqqah. Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, this Quran is the recitation of a noble messenger, it is not the word of a poet. Little do you believe, nor is it the word of a soothsayer. Little do you remember. It is a revelation from the Lord of the worlds. So here, uh, Allah Ta'ala is uh, negating poetry and soothsaying from the Prophet uh, The next verse in Surah Qalam, And the unbelievers would almost trip you up with their eyes when they hear the message. And this is talking about hasad, right? The evil eye. And they say, surely he is possessed. But it is nothing less than a reminder to all the worlds. So you see in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala, he praises the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
and also praises him by negating the false claims of the mushrikun when they say he's this or that Allah responds to them by affirming the opposite that it's not the case so that's a kind of praise uh, in the next verse in Surah Al-Shu'ara Allah Ta'ala says describing himself he who sees you standing forth in prayer and your movements among those who prostrate themselves this verse is very beautiful and there's a lot of commentary about it uh, the outward apparent meaning of the verse is that Allah Ta'ala says he sees you Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when you stand in prayer and he sees your movements among those who prostrate themselves meaning among the Sahaba because he's leading them in prayer he's praying with them so he is in their company uh, in the act of prayer that's the outward very obvious meaning of the verse um, another meaning of the verse uh, and there's some narrations to support this it's mentioning the descent of the Prophet meaning Allah Ta'ala sees the Prophet in his earthly life when he stands in prayer and he saw him uh, as here to translate it a little bit differently uh, as you were transferred among those who prostrate it's a little bit different because taqallub you know, can mean moving from place to place you know going from here to there and the meaning according to this interpretation is that because uh, all of the direct uh, forefathers of the Prophet Sallallahu and his father his grandfather his great-grandfather going all the way back to Ismail and even further but we stop at Ismail all of them were people of Tawheed and were not people of Shirk and we addressed this in the Sira class uh, in part one when we went through the entire uh, uh, the entire Nasib the entire Nasib al-Sharif his entire lineage when we trace the grandfathers going all the way back to Ismail uh, all of them according to many many sound narrations were people of Tawheed because he says وسلم, that they were protected and none of his forefathers he said were ever guilty of Sifah al-Jahiliyyah meaning uh, the you know, adultery or being born out of wedlock they were all uh, within the union of marriage right so according to this interpretation Allah is saying that he has seen him meaning within the loins of his grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers within their loins as that you know that potential uh, you could say within the DNA or within the the loins uh, and they were people of such the so because your genetic blueprint is within your ancestors like that's how we would look at it so this is a another very plausible interpretation uh, supported by many narrations and it is used as one of the proofs for the uh, fact that all of his forefathers were people of Tawheed none of them associated partners with Allah Ta'ala uh, and that, that's a longer topic uh, maybe we can explore that later 
Uh, the next verse is in Surah Al-Fatih. Allah Ta'ala says, Verily we have granted you a manifest victory. Fathan Mubina. So that Allah may forgive you for that which has preceded and that which is to come. And so that he may perfect his favor upon you and guide you on a straight way. There's about 15 interpretations of this verse mentioned by the ulama of tafsir. Imam al-Suyuti has a whole risala, a whole little treatise on the different uh, interpretations of this verse. What does it mean when Allah Ta'ala says, uh, that he may forgive you, right? There's no sins, he's, he's infallible, so what does that mean? Uh, there's different ways you can interpret it. Uh, some are uh, very reasonable interpretations, others a little more far-fetched. Um, but Anyhow, I don't want to go into too much detail now. If that's something that you're wondering about, um, we did address it in the Shema'il class several years ago. We went into the tafsir of this verse. Uh, and a lot, of the, a lot of it goes back to the Arabic language. And uh, it, it requires a little bit of unpacking because it's a mustar. Uh, Dhamb is a mustar here. And the mustar, or the verbal noun, uh, in Arabic can refer to the verbal noun meaning the noun that describes the action of that person who did the thing but the mustar can also be the noun describing the action done to someone right right it, we'll go into that later perhaps uh, the next verse uh, verse uh, this is in surah inshirah alam nashrah laka sadrak have we not expanded for you your breast and removed from you your burden? Uh, and there's a lot of tafsir about this verse too. And in Shirah al-Sadr refers to the, the metaphorical expansion of the breast. When Allah Ta'ala gives a person solace and strength, it can also refer to the physical expanding of the breast when his uh, chest was split and the heart was washed. Tuhran ala tuhur, purity upon purity. Uh, so this is a praise of the Prophet The next verse in Surah Al-Ahzab, Allah Ta'ala says, O Prophet, truly we have sent you as a witness, a bearer of glad tidings, and a warner. And as one who invites to Allah bi'idhni, with his permission, and as a lamp spreading light. This is a very beautiful verse and it describes the Prophet ﷺ as shaheed, a witness, as a bashir, a bringer of glad tidings, good news, and nadhir, a warner, and da'yan ilallahi bi'idhnihi, a caller to Allah with his permission, wasirajan munira, and a luminous lamp that spreads light. So there's five qualities mentioned in this verse. Uh, and the ulama have expanded, expounded on the meanings of this verse in great detail. Uh, we won't go into that now. In the next verse in Surah Al-Zukhruf, Allah Ta'ala says, The Qur'an is indeed the message for you and for your people, and soon shall you all be brought to account. So Allah Ta'ala here 
is affirming that the message of the Qur'an is not just for the rest of humanity, it's also for him. Because he is the Sayyid of humanity, it's also for him. The next verse is one we mentioned before. Verily by your life, in their wild intoxication, they wander in distraction to and fro. And in their intoxication, they wander blindly. So here Allah Ta'ala swears by his life. Right? This is a qasam, swearing by his life. The next verse in Surah Al-Hijr, Allah Ta'ala says, Now await impatience for the command of your Lord, for verily you are in our eyes, and celebrate the praises of your Lord while you stand. فَإِنَّكَ بِأَعْيُنِنَا So this, obviously from the aqidah, we, we understand that this is to be understood in a particular way. When Allah Ta'ala says, فَإِنَّكَ بِأَعْيُنِنَا It means He is constantly under the, uh, the gazes of Allah Ta'ala and the solicitude and divine care and concern forever and always under the protection and support of His Lord. And because of that, Allah Ta'ala says, be patient with the command of your Lord because you're always under the divine care and celebrate the praises of your Lord while you stand O you who believe the next verse uh, and this one is in Surah Tur O you who believe oh I'm skipping Oh, uh, so, oh, right, right, right. I'm looking at the footnotes. You're right. Yeah. Uh, right, so the Qasam, uh, that's in Surah Hijr. The فَإِنَّكَ بِيَعْيُنِنَا is in Surah Tur. Right. So we come to Surah Nisa. O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger. وَأُولُ الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ And those charged with authority among you. If you differ in anything among yourselves, فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَإِلَى الرَّسُولِ Refer to Allah and His Messenger. If you do believe in Allah on the last day, that is the best and most suitable for the final determination. This is the imtihan. This is the test, right? If you differ about something, فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ Refer back to Allah and His Messenger. Meaning, what is the hukum of Allah and His Messenger concerning this issue? Right? Not my culture, not my societal norms that may or may not be according to proper guidance, not this system of man made laws, not that system, not my tribe, not my ethnic group, not my people, not the current cultural zeitgeist. No, we refer the judgment back to Allah and His Messenger. And that judgment of Allah and His Messenger would either be explicit. Sarih, or it will be not explicit, but it will be understood from proper istimbat, from proper extraction of the divine ruling from the general principles, right? And it is not for uneducated people to just draw from the sources of Sharia and make their own ijtihad. This is why Allah Ta'ala says. And refer it back to ulul amr, you know, to the people uh, of, as it says here in the translation, 
those charged with authority among you. Uh, and that can refer to the political authorities, but it, also, it refers primarily to Ahlul Ilm, the, the people of knowledge, the people who know in great detail what is the hukum of Allah uh, and the Messenger وسلم, and how those ahkam are derived from the text. So this is the test. Uh, the next verse, we have three more. The next verse is a very, uh, a very powerful verse. And there's a lot of balagha in this verse. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتْ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا But no, by your Lord, should be by your Lord, they can have no real faith until they make you judge in all disputes between them and thereafter find in their souls no resistance whatsoever against your decisions but accept them with the fullest conviction. So here uh, Ibn al-Qayyim and Jawziyah he has a small risala called Ar-Risalat Tabukiyah. It's a, it's a little book he wrote on his journey between Sham and, and Tabuk which is in Northern Arabia and in it he gives a very detailed tafsir of this verse he notes that there's layers of, of linguistic emphasis given in this verse Allah Ta'ala begins by saying Fala. he starts off with a negation by no means, no and then he swears by himself وَرَبِّكَ he doesn't just say, by the Lord. He says, by your Lord. By your Lord. Meaning, the Prophet Sallallahu They will not have true iman until they make you the judge in all disputes that arise between them. But that's not enough. It's not enough to just refer to the Prophet Sallallahu in matters where people differ. Because how you receive that judgment also reflects your state of iman. Because you could seek the judgment and not be happy with it. Right? So Allah says, it's not enough to simply seek judgment in the Prophet ﷺ in your disputes. There has to be other things in place. Right? ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجْ They don't find, after that they don't find any haraj. Haraj, subhanAllah, haraj is one of those words. I don't think there's a proper English word for it. Here he renders it as resistance. Yeah, it could be resistance, but haraj is also a feeling of discomfort. Right? If you say, for example, I want to go visit my friend at 11.30 at night, and... The person with you says, no, don't do that because, you know, he might be up, but you're going to put him in a position of haraj, right? Meaning, he either brings you into the house and entertains you, but he feels haraj because he's tired, he wants to go to bed, he doesn't have food prepared, or he has to say it's too late. So in either case, there's haraj, meaning this person is not fully comfortable 
in that situation. They're put in a predicament, a rock and a hard place. They either accept the invitation, bring them in, but they feel a certain way, or they say no and they feel a certain way. They don't want to be in that situation either way. That's haraj too. So discomfort, disquiet, um, not feeling full satisfaction and not having in shirah sadr that, that, that expansiveness to the matter at hand. So Allah Ta'ala says you can't just seek the judgment in Him in disputes. Right? It's your iman also depends on how you receive that. If there's haraj, there's a problem. Right? If the Prophet says no and you feel some way about that, that indicates a weakness of iman. If he says no, and you're happy with it, even if that goes against your initial desires, but you're happy with it because this is hukmu rasulillah, then this is a sign of iman. But Allah goes further. They don't find any haraj in his decisions. Not only do they not find haraj, but they also carry out the command. So they, they accept it and submit to it. They don't submit grudgingly either. Allah says, وَيُسَلِّمُ تَسْلِيمًا This is maf'ul mutlaq, it's for emphasis. Emphasizing that they, they submit to the utmost. It's a very powerful verse. And it sets a very high standard for uh, obedience to the Prophet So number one, you have to seek judgment in him in matters of dispute. After you receive the hukum, you have to be open to it. Your breast should be expanded. There should be no feelings of negativity. And you have to carry it out with full compliance uh, in a very willing and open, open way. When you do all of those things, you have perfected iman. Al-iman al-kamil. Wa kamil al-iman. You have perfected faith. If any of those things are lacking, you have aslul iman. You have the root of iman, but you're lacking. So when Allah says, la yu'minun, doesn't mean they're disbelievers. It means that if they don't have these things in place, they, this person is naqisul iman. Right? They are deficient in their iman. So this is not a negation of aslul iman, the root of iman itself. It's a negation of kamalul iman. Yes. Yes, it's, it's the difference between us and the Sahaba. It's also the difference between the Sabiqun, Sabiqun al Awalun, the foremost and the earliest from the Muhajireen and the Ansar, and from the elite of the Sahaba, and those who came into Sahaba much later, who still wavered in their faith, the Mu'allafa those who received great wealth to reconcile their hearts to Islam from the Bedouin tribes, those who were from the Tulaqa, who only embraced Islam when everything was said and done and they were absolutely conquered, right? Uh, sometimes among them you had issues, but so you have this distinction. Definitely the Sahaba have that. But this is not uh, absent among those who came after them. 
right? It, it's open to any mu'min because Allah Ta'ala is not just addressing those people in that time. He's addressing all of the Muslims until the end of time. The next verse is the verse in Surah Tawbah. Uh, and this is the last verse in Surah Tawbah. Um, now what's interesting about Surah Tawbah, as you all know, uh, it is the one chapter in the Qur'an that does not begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, some of the ulama were of the opinion that Surah Anfal and Surah Tawbah were actually one chapter, and that's why there's no Basmala between them. Uh, but the majority say that the reason why there's no Basmala is because the content of the chapter, Surah Tawbah, uh, is so stern, it's so weighty, that Allah Ta'ala does not begin that chapter mentioning the names of Rahman and Rahim. Because the chapter is uh, about those who violated their treaties, it's about the hypocrites, it's about these kinds of people. So it doesn't begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nevertheless, when you come to the very last verse in the chapter, you see Allah mentions Rahmah. <laughs> and this is the verse in question. And they call it Ayatul Hirs. That's the name that they give to the verse. Ayatul Al-Hirs. The last verse in Surah Tawbah. Right. Hirs uh, is Ha Ra Saad. Hirs. And, and the word hirs is in the verse. لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَارِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَقُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَهُوَ رَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْعَظِيمِ he, he gives, he translates a portion of this verse, not the entire verse. There certainly has come to you a messenger from among yourselves. He is concerned by your suffering, anxious over your well-being, compassionate and merciful to the believers. Uh, Imam Mullah Ali al-Qadi, the great Afghani Meccan scholar of hadith and Hanafi fiqh, he has a book, uh, Al-Mawrid, where he, he gives a nice tafsir of this verse. Because there's lots of meanings also that you can unpack from this. Allah Ta'ala begins the verse by saying, لَقَدْ So the lamb is an emphasis, and the particle qad is also an emphasis. You have a double emphasis. And the ulama say that when you find lamb and qad together, laqad, it is as if Allah Ta'ala is swearing an oath by himself. It's as if Allah Ta'ala is saying, Wallahi. That's what some of the ulama say. So Allah begins the verse saying, Laqad ja'akum rasulun min anfusikum. There's certainly a messenger has come to you from yourselves. Meaning he is relatable. He's not coming with something that you can't understand, you can't relate to. And we see time and time again how Allah Ta'ala. Uh, through the revelation and his commands, gave things to the Prophet 
that made him uh, relatable, not in the sense of, oh, he's just like us, but relatable in the sense of we understand that he is from us and we are from him. Right? Min anfusikum, from yourselves. And this is the qira'ah we find uh, in most of the qira'at. It's min anfusikum. In one of the qira'at, one of the canonical recitations, it is recited min anfasikum. So, so it gives it a different shade of meaning. So min anfusikum means from yourselves. Min anfasikum means from the most uh, precious and valued among you. So the meaning is still there, but it has that extra layer, right? Not only is he from you, but he's also from the most precious of you, the most valued of you. Min anfasikum. Azizun alayhi ma'anitum. Here he says he is. لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَعَنِتُمْ He is concerned by your suffering. Yeah, you could translate it that way. And عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَعَنِتُمْ means it, it pains him and it grieves him that you should suffer. There is this prophetic empathy to the suffering of others. Harisun alaykum. Here he says, anxious over your well-being. You, you could translate it that way. You could also say haris means one who is very eager, one who, one who covets after what is good for you, who is eager for your well-being, eager for what benefits you, uh, very keen for that which will benefit you and increase you. Haris. Bil mu'minin ra'ufun rahim. And towards the believers, he is ra'uf, full of compassion, and rahim, merciful. So this is ayatul hirs. And some of the, from the mujarrabat al-salihin, they say, if you want to go to sleep, try read the, reading this verse three to seven times. It will knock you out. والمجربات تختلف من شخص عن شخص yeah. Yeah. This is from the Mujarrabat From the tried and true things that they found um, Whenever I've done it I, I often can't get past the third one yeah. uh, I don't do it that much but in I, Yeah Three to seven. I, I think most of the time I don't get past the third one before my eyes are. You know that. You know when you're reading Ayatul Kursi, if you're sleepy, you're reading it and you you realize that you're saying it in your mind and not with your tongue, or that you stop at some part and then you're just dozing. That's what happens. Yeah. So the last verse he mentions is the verse in Surah Al Isra. With which Allah opens that chapter. Subhana alladhi asra bi'abdihi laylan min al masjid al harami ila al masjid al aqsa alladhi barakna hawla linuriyahu min ayatina. 
إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ Glory be to the one who took his servant by night from the sacred mosque to the farthest mosque whose precincts we have blessed so that we may show him some of our signs. Indeed, he alone is the all-hearing and all-seeing. So, this, is, this verse also has a lot of tafsir behind it, and there's a lot that we can say. Um, we'll suffice for one or two points. We see in this verse that Allah Ta'ala says, Subhan and Subhan is Tanzi is when you say you utter the transcendence of Allah meaning uh, glory and uh, absolute perfection and uh, transcendence beyond all imperfections and deficiencies is the one who took his Abd Bi'abdihi who took his servant by night from Al-Masjid Al-Haram in Mecca to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. One of the important lessons we derive from this verse is that Allah Ta'ala mentions in this uh, description of honor, He describes the Prophet Sallallahu as Abdihi. Right? So Abd, we say servant or slave. People don't typically think of servant or slave as an honorific title. But here we see that it is an honorific title. For you to be Abdullah or Amatullah is to have a title of nobility. Right? And in, in some of the ways one may say the Shahada, they can say, وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ Right? And some ulama say, عَبْدُهُ فَهُوَ عَبْدُ Right, so he is the servant of Allah. So he has the relationship of ubudiyah to Allah. And risala, so he's not to be disobeyed either. And this is expressed in this verse in Surah Al-Isra. Uh, and he says, as well as many other verses. It's very obvious he's not trying to mention everything. He's just giving a sampling of some of the verses and what we can see here, because my intention was to go through the hadith too, what we can see here is that you can take each verse and unpack it and go into great detail, elaborating on how it is a praise of the Prophet ﷺ. There's layers and layers of meanings behind all of these verses that speak about the maqam of Sayyiduna Rasulullah wasallam. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yes, and I meant I meant to say I meant to say that um, this verse in uh, Ayatul Hirs, where Allah Taala says that there certainly come to you a messenger from yourselves, it grieves him that you should suffer, and he's keen for what benefits you. This verse is not applied exclusively to the Sahaba where he only has concern for them that applies to the entire Ummah right so we have the hadith where he's making dua for the Ummah those during his physical lifetime in dunya and those after him we have Raddu Salam 
right? The returning of salam when the people send salawat. The salam is a dua. The dua is an expression of concern for the goodness and well-being of that person. We have the hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad where the Prophet ﷺ says that the actions of the ummah are presented to me in the barzakh. If I see good, hamidullah, I praise Allah. And if I see other than that, I seek forgiveness for them. And so the actions are presented. There's still that divine care and concern that the Prophet ﷺ has for the ummah after his passing into the barzakh. That applies. So this is not something limited to the time of the Sahaba. And the same thing applies to uh, pretty much everything we're saying here. That these, uh, the things he said, uh, or what Allah says about him concerning the relationship to the ummah, apply to the entire ummah, not just those during his physical life. Right? And there's many hadith to that effect, where he talks about those who will come after him, who if they could sacrifice all of their wealth just to see him, they would. And so he talks about this. So many hadith where he says, So many hadith where he says, Among the things I fear most for my ummah are this and this and this. And those things didn't appear during the era of the Sahaba. Some did later on. But many of those things did not appear until later. Some of them haven't even appeared yet. So he's expressing his fear for things that will happen to the ummah. Right? There's a really beautiful song in English. It just came to mind. Uh, what's the name of it? Dawood Warnsby. I know the one. I, I, that came to my mind too when you mentioned it. Yeah, look at it. I'll put it in the group. Uh, it's a really beautiful song. English song. With a duff, and he just he he expresses this meaning uh, of that care and concern for what happens after. I'll send it in the group, inshallah. It's very beautiful. He did it maybe 25, 25 years ago. He did it when he first converted. Yeah. yeah. He's a Canadian munshid. No, no, it's something else. Yeah, I'll find it, inshallah. It's 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 on YouTube. inshallah. So we'll um, we'll suffice with this. I meant to go further, but you know, alhamdulillah, is what it is. وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين